this panel is uh, open from both sides. We have Will Beekman with us today, the executive director of the FM Kirby Center. And we have Eva Alexia Ria. Alexia Ria. And she uh, is the owner and operator of Bada Booking Agency Beta. and management as well, too, right? Yeah, it's Beta, actually. Beta. Yeah, no, that's it. Beta. Oh. So we're gonna talk a little bit. I'm gonna let each of them introduce you, tell you a little bit about themselves, and then uh, we'll get into a little bit of question and answer at the end. We'll be time for it, and uh, we're gonna talk about booking from both sides. So I'll start with Will. Thanks, Joe. Uh, as Joe mentioned, I'm the executive director at the FM Kirby Center. Um, as part of my uh, my duties there, I, I handle all the booking for the Kirby Center. And if you're not familiar with the venue at all. That means I'm booking everything from, you know, Ringo and Alice Cooper to Shakespeare and, uh, you know, national touring operas and everything in between. So um, a lot of fun, a lot of work. And uh, I've been at the Kirby Center for eight years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in a more of an arena format, um, handling the marketing at the Bryce Jordan Center on the campus of Penn State University. But uh, as I said, I've been at the Kirby for eight years now and I'm um, enjoying myself and I'm excited to be here. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm Eva. I'm the owner of Beta Booking. Um, we are a national booking agency with a small office for boutique. And um, I've been operating Feta for 21 years, which ironically enough, we started in Wilkes-Barre, and so it's nice to be back in this area. Um, and we cover all of North America and handle either with middle buyers or directly Europe, UK, Japan, and Australia as well. We focus on arts development. We did open a sister side of Feta five years ago that handles management and it's a small three-band roster of some pretty awesome management clients. Nice to be here. Hey guys, so I guess one thing that uh, a lot of people starting out uh, might be confused by is the term booking agent gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. You hear it from um, you know the people who are booking the concerts. So Will might be called a booking agent. You might be called it. You guys kind of define the the difference between like a booking agent and a talent buyer, the different aspects that fall into booking agent. Um, just so that, I, I know we have a lot of younger fans here, and I so they're hearing that, they kind of know who they're reaching out to, things like that. I, I never really considered myself a booking agent as much as a, a talent buyer is one way to put it, or really a promoter. And I think the biggest difference is that, not to speak for Eva, but the agent wants as much money as possible, and the promoter wants to spend as little as possible. Um, and that's kind of where we meet in the middle. Agents of promoters will go on all day long about this. Um, so the difference between a promoter and a talent buyer, which is, uh, I'm sorry, an agent and a talent buyer, um, and a, which is more commonly known as a promoter, not even a talent buyer these days. Um, some younger promoters or independently owned venues tend to misuse the word booking agent by saying I'm the booking agent of this venue. That's an incorrect term. A booking agent is responsible for artist development on the road. We are solely um, responsible for developing artists, whether it's 
through touring or through supporting larger acts at venues, on the road, in isolated markets, and moving it from that point, where a promoter is responsible for promoting their venue and handling all of the um, internal part of that venue and the booking of the venue. So we negotiate money and speak for the clients, and the promoter talent buyers are either the owner or the representation of the venue. In other words, we get to fight with each other about money all day long. And somehow either agree or disagree. Or just move on. Right, yeah. But that is a very misused um, title. So then, uh, I guess, I know that there's at least a couple of people in here who are aspiring promoters. Sorry. Um, Will, can maybe we can start with you? You can talk a little bit about how you got into the role of becoming a talent buyer promoter. When you're here, so a little unique here with the yeah. FM Derby Center. Sure. And uh, you know, maybe you give some advice to um, young promoters who are looking to start to bring in talent and how, what, basically maybe a couple not what not to do when reaching out um, about what you're possible. Well, as I mentioned, I, my, my background's more in marketing. Um, I got more into programming when I came to the Kirby Center. It was always an interest of mine, something I wanted to learn, um, that part of the business. And um, we had a programming director at the time who left for another venue, and um, they were looking to replace him. And I stepped in and said, I can, I can do that. I, I was booking shows at the Bryce Jordan Center which I really wasn't, um, but I really wanted to learn. And I thought that um, this was my opportunity to kind of get my foot in that door specifically. And I figured I would just try to figure it out um, as I went along. Luckily, they, they bought it, and they gave me the opportunity. And uh, you know, I really started leaning on some friends of mine who were already in the business who were talent buying. Trying to learn as much as, trying to learn as, much as I could, um, going to as many booking conferences as I can. Um, you know, a few of them even had like booking 101 sessions and just trying to soak up as much as I could. And I've been, um, you know, doing the booking now for for five years. From a promoter standpoint, what's nice about my specific job is that I'm, I'm playing with house money, so to speak. Um, well, not so to speak, I am. Uh, you know, if, if we lose $45,000 on a show, you know, the Kirby Center loses $45,000 on a show. And um, I'm looking at, at Tim, who you know, works with uh, with a promoter, Stan Levenstone, SLP Concerts out of uh, New Jersey, and you know, when, when Stan loses money, Stan's losing money. Um, I would love, honestly, one day to get to the point where I could be my own promoter, uh, my own company, um, but that's the scary part of it. So, uh, you know, not that it doesn't keep me up at night when we book a show at the Kirby Center and it's, and it's not selling well, because you know, that happens unfortunately often, especially when you know we're we've grown to the point where we're um, we've really tripled our output in terms of the number of performances that we're bringing in over the last you know four years. We're doing about 130 shows a year, so really one every you know two or three nights. So, and when you're that busy, it's only a matter of time before you have you know you're always going to have a few losers in there, if you will. Um, not meaning performers, losers in terms of losing money. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that's, that's obviously part of the business and that, that part sucks. But um, again, it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit easier when you're you know, working for a venue and not really playing with your own money, so to speak. Um, to answer your question, you know, for, I, I had a, do I need this? You guys can hear me, right? 
How about now? <laughs> um, so, someone asked me this in one of the mentoring, and um, there's a there's a few ways of going about being a promoter um, and approaching a promoter, and the same advice with. Uh, a booking agency, but more a promoter. If you're a young promoter, like a, a Stan 35 years, 40 years ago, maybe, <laughs> um, approaching an agent is um, difficult, but easier now than it was 21 years ago when I started. You didn't use email. Um, we had it. We just never used it. Um, we had to cold call people, or people had to cold call us. and. Um, Pitch it. The whole thing was selling your product, whether it was your venue, whether it was your artist, whether it was yourself. You're always selling yourself in this industry. Um, it's a very sleepless night kind of industry on both sides, whether you're um, the agent or the manager or the promoter. It's all a money game and a growth game and um, your ability to have a good reputation versus how did you handle the situations. So your first um, immediate introduction to anyone should be your best foot forward and in this industry it's really important to have a good reputation throughout. It doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges, it doesn't mean you're not going to have arguments and disagreements. It might not mean that you're always liked or ever liked by one individual or five individuals or you like them back. Um, it's kind of basic life when it comes to that stuff. You can't be friends with everyone. Um, but keeping your reputation solid is important. And even though there'll be misunderstandings at times where it feels that the person across from you, you know, thinks you're a mess or vice versa, it's important to start that out the gate and try your best your entire career to keep your reputation good and strong. So as a promoter, um, when I get approached by a new promoter, I can't and do not like to read novels. And it's all over email always. It's very, 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 very rare. It's a cold call. Um, and I'm more suited, and I, I take this um, for all agents, um, a very short and sweet but detailed email. Like, hey, I have a new venue. This is the capacity. I have the stats, the stage um, dimensions, and um, the inputs attached to this email. Here is a link. Um, we've, here's some of the bands that we've booked already successfully. If you would like to ask the other agent how it went, we'd like you to consider putting us in your routing. And the thing is with agents, because we get 300 emails um, to 1,000 emails a day, depending on which agent you're talking about, they're not going to always be an email. So you're going to have to follow up. And if you do something with them, Next time you want to do another band with them, you need to reach out to them. The probability of them chasing you is, is not great because we, we forget about new promoters because we're not oftenly using them. So new promoters need to be as aggressive as bands. And to be honest, in this career, anything you do, you have to be aggressive because your band um, or your venue or you as an agent or you as a manager could be really, really hot one minute and really, really not the next, unfortunately. So it's really important to always keep circling back and doing things often. Uh, can I just, yeah. I, and I'm curious to get Eva's uh, thought on this as well. Um, for me, over the past five years, what I think I've done best is, and I think there's almost like this, this thought that if you put a bunch of promoters and agents in one room, all the agents are going to stay on this side and all the promoters are going to stay on this side. And that's really not the case. What I've done is I've built some great relationships with, a, you know, with, some, with some agents out there. And, 
when I first started and I was trying to figure out, you know, who am I supposed to talk to and how do I do this? And I'm going to this conference and just start emailing and calling saying, can I get two minutes with you at your booth on the trade floor, um, pulling teeth to get in front of them. And then I finally get in front of them and it's, you know, they're on their, their laptop and uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're not really listening to me to, you know, five years later, well, they'll reach out to me and say, hey, are you going to be in Nashville for that? Or are you going to be in L.A. for Polestar? Let's get a drink. Let's talk about that. So developing that relationship um, with, the rela with the agent is incredibly important. And I think you just develop this, this trust factor. I mean, I've booked a few shows with agents that I'm, I consider friends of mine that I didn't necessarily believe in in my market and in my venue. But it's, there's that relationship there. And I also know that down the line, I wouldn't mind booking this other artist that they have. And maybe this is kind of that, that gateway to another artist. So um, I think it's kind of about creating those relationships. And again, there's a trust factor that you build between promoter and agent. I 100% agree with you. So maybe we can focus a little bit more on the bands now, because I know we do have a lot of bands here. Um, so I'll start with Eva. Mm -hmm. So you're a young band, and I'm sure a lot of this might have been covered in mentorship, but we have a lot of people come in. Um, when, when is an appropriate time to reach out to a, a booking agent? Uh, what's the proper method to take? And when do you actually need one? Because there's probably a lot of people that maybe it's a little too early, things like that. Yeah, um, there's a few sides um, that was addressed a few times. There was a few different answers for that specific question. The first part is, um, you know, when to reach out to a booking agent. And um, it, it really comes down to when you're ready. Um, I feel that um, as an agent, we hear so many, I said this earlier on, 20 years ago bands didn't sound as good as bands sound now. You know, you get a song and a stream and you're like, oh my God, this band sounds amazing. You don't know if they could play it live, but they sound amazing because you have all these tools and computers and everything makes you sound so damn good, you know, if you're good. And then you see them live and maybe some of them can do it live and maybe they can't. But it's hard because, it, you know, with the digital media world, a band can be presented differently than what they're worth on the road. They can have a million streams on Spotify. They can have 30,000 views or plays on YouTube. They can have, you know, 30,000 people on Facebook. And they don't mean anything on the road. And then you, as an agent, have to say, well, this band is good and everything sounds great. But why do you need an agent? So the band's response normally is because we need to stay on the road and we want to develop on the road. So as an agent, it comes in with a few different ways. Um, it's ideal for a band to be able to have a few of their markets as primary drawing markets. You know, I think I called this a few times today, you know, tackling small wars. You know, like if you are based in this area, having a draw in Allentown or Stroudsburg, having a draw in this area specifically, and then um, let's say Syracuse, which is close, or New York City or whatever. Have three to talk about when you talk to an agent, and an agent will say, okay, well, so there's all this digital media stuff happening, which content and streaming is absolutely important, but it doesn't mean you're ready to be on the road. But then when you have a draw, we say, okay, so people actually are willing to get up off their couch and go see them as well. Um, they're not just sitting home saying, yeah, okay, this playlist is cool. I'm going I'm to 
keep listening to it. Oh, that band's cool. I forgot to listen to who it was or go walk over to my Spotify to see their name and, you know, follow them. So um, when they're ready to tour, you know, when it makes sense, when it, and or the second part of that, that response would be if you have an immense team ready to put it all in place, like a jigsaw puzzle, like the label has X amount of dollars ready in marketing and not necessarily radio, but marketing because just because a band's on Alt Nation or something like that doesn't mean that registers to numbers these days. Um, but they're willing to do tour marketing and um, they're ready to have the digital media team working on it and they're ready to have everything lined up with a release and we all have the connections working to have the band support this band. Things like that make sense where you have a full team that's like we're ready to push this band now. Um, so that was the two parts of that question. That was the second part of that question. Uh, I think you covered it. It was just oh. like, how, uh, well, I get how, yeah, how would they reach out? out to you, I guess, uh, was that my would, follow up. Yeah. So I guess, how would they reach out to you? Would you prefer, I mean, press packets are kind of fading, but do you prefer is it a cold email or is a referral better, things like that? And I'm sure everybody's for different. Me, for me, yeah, I, I'll speak, I, all agents, for the most part, I'm not gonna say there's not an agent out there that is okay with this. We don't, we can't soak in a lengthy email. There's just between phone calls and our immediate work for the clients we already represent. And every time we talk to a promoter, like you said, you have relationships. I mean, I'm sure when you talk to whomever it might be, you're on the phone 45 minutes, about mm -hmm. 30 minutes if it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, because you have the relationships, you are chatting. When I get on the phone with Stan, I can't get off for like an hour sometimes. <laughs> well, nobody can get so, off. That's not just you. Uh, that goes for <laughs> other promoters too. <laughs> but my point, my point is that, you know, um, the emails, it's better to keep it short and sweet and to have all of those important things in there. Here are the three markets we draw in. Here's what we're doing. Um, we're best compared to this band. This is our strongest song for you to hear. Do not put a link of all your songs. It makes no sense. We will not listen to the whole album. Some people may. I'm not saying everyone. I won't. And most agents don't because we don't have time. And it's better to be like, okay, well, this is the strongest song. This song is great. And then we'll go to your Spotify or we'll, you know, go listen to your YouTube. And ironically enough, a band from Canada, which was a referral, did send me over from their agent, sent over a song. And I ended up listening to it for three hours when I was working last night. And I couldn't, and this morning, I still had on my computer, I'm like, I can't stop listening to this. The whole Spotify, the entire, not, but it was from one song made me listen to it over and over and over again. So I would say approaching email first with your facts and keep it short and sweet, but keep it with the good facts there. Can I ask questions too? Yeah. I'm just curious, I've always thought about this uh, from an agency's standpoint. So you have your artist roster, percentage-wise, how many artists on your roster are artists that came to you and said, hey, check us out? And how many artists that maybe you were out somewhere, or you were at you know this event, or at this conference, and you saw, or you know, and you said, "Wow, these guys are great," and then you approached them. Is there was one more common than the other? No, I would say it's half and half. I mean, like certain artists that I represent, um, I I literally was, you know, on a UK website reading something, and I saw their name, and I, I saw the name, and I liked the way it sounded. <laughs> Sorry clicked on it, and ironically enough, I, I feel like that's how I um, was introduced to 
certain bands when I was in high school. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Pearl Jam sounds like a cool band's name. You know, like things like, and I would listen to it thinking, well, it sounds like a, a band that I wanted to listen to. I don't know why, and click on it. And then I would reach out to them, and it's a band that never left the country. They meant nothing here. They weren't signed. But for some odd reason, it resonated with me immediately, and I didn't care that none of the other parameters or variables were there. I just was like, I have to work for you. And I'll figure the rest out, you know, with my relationships. So half and half, yeah. really. I have a lot of, it happens to me though. I fall in love with bands. Yeah. I think we all do that. Yeah. That's why we're all here. Yep. So I guess uh, if there's one big don't, like this is the absolute death sentence, don't do this, I'll never talk to you again, that a band could make right off the bat, what would it, would it be? Something that would just completely. I don't think there's one. There's not one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's one hundred. There's a few. Yeah, a few. Um, I feel like a. I think that the music industry is a very unique business. Um, I think that I have seen many different personalities in the music industry, and um, like you mentioned, being at a conference, you know, a lot of those personalities. We get together in one room, and we're just best friends, you know, laughing and joking around. But when it comes to who we are in our business shoes, I guess, you know, you want to, I I find that being humble is the best approach. And when you don't approach that way, it's an immediate turnoff. And and it's, I'm not a musical artist. I never have been. I actually cannot play an instrument or hold a tone or anything. Um, But I do know that, People take their, their art very seriously, as they should. Um, but we are all people, and we all wake up the same. So when you treat someone uh, inappropriately out, out the door just because they didn't have time to check something out yet, or they, it may have not resonated for them, but it does for someone else, um, that um, it changes the way that they speak to you afterwards. I think when you said being humble, it kind of resonates with me. Um, probably the closest I come to living in, in Eva's world is when we have an artist coming in and someone wants to open for that artist. And, you know, I get the email and it's, I, there's one specific artist, local, not in this room, I'll guarantee, um, who every time we have a country artist of any kind wants to open. And for various reasons, it just hasn't happened. Um, you know, usually, it's an evening with, right? They don't want someone opening or they're traveling with their own. But as each country performer comes and goes, his requests get a little more, they're, they're not really requests anymore. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, so what time am I gonna open for? You know, that type of thing. So, um, you know, getting a little bit cocky and that's, he's getting further away than he, is, than he is getting closer. So I think being humble is important. It's also the, the curse of email. You never can read each other's tone. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. really bad situation for all of us. Yes. So you kind of touched on my, my question for you that was coming up then right there is, uh, so you guys have been doing some local openers on mm-hmm. some of the shows. I know a lot of what you do doesn't call for that, but yeah. some of it does. Um, so what, how do, you, how do you find the bands that you choose that well thing? Um, is it something where they should reach out to you or do you already have somebody in mind? You go, I know because it's a, u- a unique situation with your room, but. I have seen a yeah. couple there lately. So yeah, we, we recently started, um, for those who aren't familiar, um, a series in our, our lobby, which sounds a little bit strange, but we have a larger um, lobby that we can, we started putting shows in a couple of years ago, and 
Um, if you do no seats, we can probably get comfortably 450, 500 people in our lobby. So um, with more of those performances, yeah. um, we've had needs for, you know, for local openers. And it, I think it, it, it goes both ways. Um, you know, sometimes the artists will say to us, hey, you know, can you find a local opener to lengthen the night a little bit? Um, personally, we like openers because it at least guarantees us an intermission in between one act and the next, and we can sell more, sell more beer and sell more food. Um, but it, it does go both ways. Sometimes they'll come to us saying, "Hey, um, can you find someone?" And a lot of times we get local acts coming to us saying, "Hey, does so and so need someone?" Um, and if they do, I usually ask them, you know, to send me um, some info. You know, send me a website, send me something where they can go and check out, you know, some of your music and I you know, obviously have to pass it on to to the agents for the for the headlining act. Um, right. even if they're asking me to find someone, they need to approve who that act is. So um, you know that next step is usually just, you know, give me some info and, and that I can pass along. Okay. Cool. And so uh, so everybody knows I, I do want to make sure you get a chance to the what do you have? Do you have anything coming up uh, in the lobby? The chandeliers, chandeliers. You know, we right? yeah, we actually don't right now. We had a who do I have? Oh yeah, we have Fozzie. Thank you. Stan's <laughs> Stan's gonna kill me. No, we don't have anything. Yeah. Stan's bringing Fozzie. Uh, if you're not familiar with Fozzie, uh, a metal act with led by Chris Jericho, WWE's the wrestling guys. Uh, probably really excited. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we have that and coming up in a couple weeks, right? October 14th. October 14th. I'm glad Tim is here. Yeah, we had a busy couple of months recently in, in, in the lobby space, but it is calming down a little bit. We had Greta Van Fleet um, a few weeks ago now, and uh, just a, a band that we could have moved into our, our, our main room and sold another thousand tickets, I bet. Awesome. Um, but they wouldn't let us. They wanted to get a few sellouts under their belt and kind of generate some demand for tickets. Um, so that was more, the, more the, the record label than anyone else telling us, no, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't move it in there. But um, we worked with Stan on that show as well. We could have made a lot more money if we moved it in the big room, but um, that was a great show. Uh, prior to that, we had you know Gene Ween was in town doing a Billy Joel tribute. So um, we've had Joan Osborne in there. We, we've kind of been all over the map. Henry Rollins was in a few months ago doing his spoken word. So um, we'll do a little bit of everything in there, but it's kind of quieting down for now after Fozzie, and then um, it'll it'll probably pick up again in the fall. Cool. So. Um Back to Eva. <laughs> um, if, ba if a band's starting out touring um, and they're going to do it on their own, do you have any advice for them? Things that they should be doing while they're out there to prepare to, to get to you? Like what some do's and don'ts? Like, because you have experience keeping bands on the road, obviously. Yeah. So any of any things they should look out for or that they should just uh, be doing to keep themselves afloat while they're there? Um, I, I think that's an individually based question per band. I mean, I... I I'm, I'm old and I started a long time ago and bands treated the road much differently than they do now. You know, when I started and for about 10 years, about to 2004, I would say a lot of bands still slept on couches and ate at Denny's and, you know, or didn't eat, you know, things like that. Again, the tools are different. People want to stay at hotels. Um, if you are in the very DIY mindset, there are little things, um, funny enough, that are apps out there that you can, um, there's like an app that you can use to couch surf. Airbnb Not Airbnb or No, there's, a, there's an actual couch surfing app. 
and you could basically stay at Verified. Not that I know how they verify these people. <laughs> verified people's couches, like bins, like things like that. But my my biggest advice is eat at the venue, whatever the venue has there for for catering. If it's in your room, take it with you. If there's a bag of chips or pita or hummus, take it with you, put it in the van, get a little fridge in the van, like a little cooler, get some ice from a gas station, take it with you. Um, maximize your ability to use all these accessible technologies on the road. Content, make content. Always be posting about your, your road experiences. Um, you in the van talking to each other, different shows, Facebook Lives, um, fun pictures. People, you know, when I was younger, um, if you wanted, if if you wanted to get as close to talking to an artist, where they actually said words to you in response to something you said, you would die. Like that's it, is your life is over. It's like, oh my God, Jordan from the kids on the block talk to me, my life is over. Um, though now everyone feels that they have a relationship with bands because they have an instant ability to speak to these artists on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. They can send messages. They put it, they put a face with a name. If the artist responds, that regardless of how absolutely ignorant this sounds, the person 90% of the time across from that artist on the other side of that computer thinks, or phone, thinks that they know me. Mm -hmm. So because of that, um, you can put fun pictures on your Snapchat, and Facebook, and Instagram, and Twitter, and all, those, all the sites that you can possibly link together, because they feel like you're sharing a part of your life with them, and then they get to interact. So, but you're always posting your music, and your, which you should shuffle in there as well, mind you. Um, they just it becomes white noise. But when they're like, "Here's a picture of my dog on tour," they're like, "Like, like, 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 like." I'm following. I'm following. Band in town. Follow, 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 follow. So these are just really silly tools. It's hard to answer that question because there's so many things to avoid things on the road, don't hemorrhage money. Be smart, you know, do a projection of the money that you are definitely gonna have for the road and spread it out. You know, it's it's base it's basically like living in an apartment. You know you have X amount of money in this month. Choose wisely because and also have a float. Floats are very important if you can manage to save this in advance before you tour, you never know if you're getting a flat, your van breaks down, whatever your your equipment gets stolen. A lot of times bands now, which this wasn't the case earlier on, um, in the 90s and the early 2000s, they don't feel that they have to spend their own money. They feel like everyone owes them, not all bands, but a lot. I would say a lot of bands, owes them um, the, the float they have. But it's like a, any startup business. When you're in a business, you're supposed to project two years of losses. Any business, my business, this business, any business. So being in a touring business that you're eagerly trying to earn money from and develop and move forward, you need to buffer two years. And you have to figure that out. And you need to go home and bartend when you're back from tour. Get a job when you're home from tour. Because it's your responsibility. It's not 
and even the bands that you see doing really awesome things like I had an artist open up for Food Fighters once and they got paid $500 a night. That's not a lot of money. It was in arenas. And even though it's absolutely fair money for the headliner to have given that to that artist, when someone that doesn't know that in a local band sees that, they assume the opener is making a lot of money. That's not how it works. So when you're even supporting a larger act, you are not making a lot of money. And then they do, the larger act will have you do something called matching merchandise, which means you're also not selling merch. Because if you have to match the price, which this is what it means, you're matching the quantity of merch that the headliner has at the same price they're selling it at. So if you're opening for a larger act, which is ideally selling theirs for much more than you planned on, you cannot sell an EP for $2, and you cannot sell your t-shirt for five, and you cannot do a bundle me to try and buffer and get more focus on you. You have to play the game fair. So you have to buffer the money in yourselves. You know, it's not the, it's not the era where labels are throwing tons of tour support at bands. It's just, you have to take control and responsibility of your band. We are here to work for your bands. The promoter works for the venue, I work for bands, management works for bands. It's not our jobs to fund bands. So my biggest advice is what not to do is not budget your money um, incorrectly. Think ahead. Okay, so I think uh, we'll open it up to the floor for a couple questions. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody has any questions, uh, raise your hand. We'll go that way. Anybody? Well. Uh, you spoke a couple times about having local support on like larger shows and things like that. Do you find it a turnoff if a local act messages you as you post the show, like a Caesar or something like that is coming to a Sherman Theater, like are you looking for local support or anything like that? This kind of messages you regularly as a, a artist of that genre comes through. Is that for me? Uh, either one. Um, no, um, for me anyway. I'm I, I'm not offended. I can only speak for myself. I mean, if you do it every day or, you know, after a while it gets to be much. But, um, you know, there are times that people have reached out and I said, you know what, yeah, we are. You know, we are looking for someone, so can you send me some more info? Um, you know, it's not always a bad thing. You know, a lot of times we, we do need someone and you need to reach out to us um, and that, that can be helpful sometimes. But, you know, I think certainly if I reply and say, no, they're traveling with their own, thanks anyway, we'll keep you in mind in the future. Um, don't keep asking, you know, then. Um, but no, I, I, at least for me, I, I don't see it as a turn off. Sometimes it's even helpful. Yep. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, what, what was the story behind the booking of Ringo at the Kirby? Oh, well, um, there's actually... A story? There is, well, there's a little yeah. bit of a story. Um, Ringo's agent actually looked to us in... I don't want to put a year on it, but I would say it was probably about six, five or six years ago. Um, it's not a cheap uh, artist fee by any means. Um, it was certainly a lot more than we at the Kirby Center had ever paid for an artist before. Um, we weren't ready, as ready as we are today, to kind of pony up that kind of cash for an artist. We actually passed on it, um, and I'll just say it was probably around 2011, 2012. Um, Instead, when we said no, it went to the Community Arts Center in Williamsport, and I watched on news, the news the next day, or just a couple days later, when it went on sale and tickets sold out in, you know, 20 minutes, and then I cried myself to sleep. And, <laughs> and, uh, Is that a given? 
And oh, the agent's like, he's a Beatle. I was like, well, it's, it's Ringo, right? I mean, let's be honest. Of, 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 of the four of them, it's Ringo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so a couple of years later, um, a couple of years later, they asked again, and, and I was, first of all, we felt a little more comfortable at that point, spending that kind of money, um, but also knowing how well it did. You know, it, it was a mistake on our part to pass on it the first time. Um, so we jumped on it. It was, it, you know, there were a few other hoops we had to go through. We had to send pictures of our dressing room. You know, he wanted to see what the venue looked like. It was the agent's first time in our building, and obviously it was, it was Ringo's as well. Um, and if you've ever been downstairs or backstage at the Kirby Center, it's, the, the theater is beautiful, but it's a 1938 building, and the dressing rooms are down in the basement, and you look like you're in the basement of a 1938 building. So we had to, we had to decorate things a little bit, and I was very strategic in the angles that I used when taking the pictures of the dressing rooms, but um, I guess it worked because he came to town, and uh, you know, yeah, it sold out in you know, less than a day, and um, it was a great show. The, the agent um, who now has a house in New York, but mostly lives in LA, um, on the day of the show, emailed me and said, where are you? And I said, well, I'm at, I'm at the theater. We have Ringo tonight. And he goes, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm here. And I said, oh, I didn't know you were coming. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'm down in your lobby right now. So this was in the afternoon. So I went down and prior to that, we had gotten all the, you know, the advance info. No one is to ask Ringo for an autograph or no one is to ask Ringo for a photo and all that stuff. Um, so the agent says, I'm down in your lobby, which I wasn't expecting him to, to, to be there. I go downstairs, or it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's no lights on in the actual theater yet. So he's standing there in the dark. Um, as I get closer, he's wearing a suit, and he has a baseball cap on. I get a little bit closer, and I see it's, it's a Mets hat. I'm a big Mets fan. So uh, I start talking to him a little bit about the Mets, and he goes, I was at game six in 1986. And I was like, oh, you're killing me. He's, you don't remember that. It's like I was, eight, I was eight years old, but I do remember it. So we start going back and forth. He starts quizzing me on what happened, who scored the run that tied the game, you know, on the wild pitch and all this stuff. So I'm answering all of his questions, and he goes, puts his arm around me and goes, I like you. You want to go meet Ringo? So my wife jokes that it's the only time being a Mets fan has ever paid off for me. <laughs> So we went back and we got a quick photo with Ringo, and uh, it, yeah, it was a great show. Right, we, have one, we have time for one more. Sorry, too long. Oh, no, 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 no. I, so I was going to ask, should you ask those guys to take their conversation downstairs or something? Because mm. it's very distressing. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then I do have a follow-up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guys, if we quiet down in the back there, that would be really helpful. Um, follow-up to, oh gosh, I'm going to forget my question. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, so anybody else have one more? All right, then we're going to break for just a real quick five minutes. And got it? Uh, you got it? No, I remember. Just <laughs> when, when um, an act approaches you to be an opener for, like, say it's the spoken word person, and, you know, what sort of, and I know it'll depend on the, the headliner, but what. And this will be hard to answer, but what sort of level of having performed locally and that audience draw, I guess, already established, do you look for specifically for the current center? Yeah, that's a good question, too, because there are times when someone wants to open for so-and-so, um, or maybe even the headliner needs someone to open, and you're completely sold out. And then it's just a matter of, well, here's who has an interest and does the headliner approve of them, yeah. um, but there's also times when the show's not doing as well as you, th as you hope and you think maybe if we put so-and-so on the bill, a local band, maybe they'll, they'll bring in you know, a few more people. Um, 
So it really is, a, a, I think, on a, on a show by show um, basis. But there, you know, we, we've had both of those. You know, um, sometimes, you know, I don't want to speak for I've, I've never done this, but I, I think some promoters um, will ask bands if you want to be on the bill to sell. Um, certain number of tickets. I don't know if anyone in here has ever, you know, yeah. kind of been in that, in that situation. So, you know, sometimes you're not you're not getting paid, and you're actually selling <laughs> selling tickets just, you know, just to kind of get on the bill. Um, and obviously, the upside, of course, is is getting that exposure and getting to, you know, say that you open for so and so, and yeah, getting that foot in that in that door and starting those relationships that we spoke about earlier. All right, guys. Well, can we get around? I know where the, uh, we're not from the area, Curtin yeah. Center. Where is it? Okay. It's in downtown Wilkesbury. It's about okay. 20 minutes from here, 20, 25 minutes from here. It's 1,800 seats. Uh, Probably like asking where Madison Square Garden is. No, it's not at all. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Um, but it's, a, it's, an art, it's an art deco uh, movie theater, old movie theater that was converted into a performing arts center in 1986. Guys, can we get a round of applause? Yeah. yeah.